The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some young people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning in our gospel reading, we have two stories of healing. The raising of Jairus' daughter and the healing of a woman who suffered with hemorrhages for 12 years. Uh, Healing stories like this play a huge part in the early chapters in the gospel of Mark. Um, Within the first five chapters alone, Mark says that Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit, heals his disciple Simon's mother-in-law and then all the people who came to her door, he cleanses a leper, heals a paralytic, heals a man with a withered hand, heals a demoniac, somebody possessed by a demon, he raises Jairus' daughter and heals the woman with a hemorrhage, all within the first five chapters, essentially the first third of the gospel. And then in the sixth chapter, in Mark 6, it says, And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. In the Gospel of Mark, 
healing heralds Jesus' arrival, the beginning of his mission, and it reveals its ultimate purpose, to bring healing to the world. Uh, one of my favorite commentaries, The Literary Guide to the Bible, says that in Mark, Jesus is a wanderer going through ordeals which commandeer, disrupt, and reorder the established myths. He is unaccommodated and unofficial. He performs the miracles of beloved popular piety because they change lonely misery to social happiness at a touch. They change lonely misery to social happiness at a touch. And it goes on, the healing miracles in Mark are a cumulative series. By the end, they have included men, women, and children, diseases of hands, feet, ears, eyes, and mouths, and even death. Women, children, fishermen, lepers, sinners, and sick, the unclean and the mad, these matter to Mark as much as the powers that be, secular, religious, or supernatural. So these healings are not just taken individually or even in our gospel reading today like a pair, but these stories are cumulative. They build on one another and broaden out and encompass every type of person, every type of healing of every part of the body and every kind of disease. And ultimately on the cross, Jesus undergoes his own ordeal, dying and rising again for the healing of the world. So let's talk about healing in the Bible, because there are several layers to it. First, with healing stories, clearly we are meant to be astonished. We hear that the doctors could not make this woman well, and we could assume the same for the little girl, but just a touch of Jesus' garment heals the woman in an instant. Um, Healing stories function in the Bible in the way that miracle stories do, like walking on water or turning water into wine. They show us Jesus' divine power, and we are meant to stand in awe. Second, and at the same time, they show us Jesus' great compassion. Time and again, Jesus is drawn to the sick, the lost, and the dying, and they are drawn to him. We see in this story Jesus' compassion for this woman and this young girl, and we see how Jesus uses his power not for himself, but for the sake of the weak, the sick, the outcast, and the stranger. Third, at least in the Gospel of Mark, these are lessons about faith. In both cases here, it is faith that is the driving force in these healings. Jairus has faith that Jesus can heal his sick daughter and begs him to come to his home. The woman has faith that just the touch of Jesus' robe will change her life, and it does. He tells her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, this isn't to say that we will all be healed if only we had enough faith, but faith can make us well even without curing us. Faith sets the conditions for hope when we feel swallowed up by despair. Fourth and finally, but not least of all, healing stories are stories about reconciliation. They are stories of crossing boundaries. Um, In Jesus' time, the religious law functioned on a purity code, uh, which designated some people as ritually clean and others as ritually unclean. Um, And so, for instance, in Jesus' time, in the Levitical laws, it would have been considered ritually unclean. Uh, Women would have been considered ritually unclean during their menstrual cycle and for some days after this. Um, But this woman, 
this woman in the story suffered from hemorrhages, flows of blood for 12 years. She was ritually unclean for more than a decade. And she was excluded and she was alone and set apart because of her disease. And if, as I said last week, the clash between empire and the kingdom of God is the fundamental clash in the life of Jesus, I'd say this clash between Jesus and the religious law is a close second. Um, Often to really appreciate the story of Jesus, you have to understand what was happening in the religious setting of his time, um, where the religious law, which was created in the days of Moses, to provide God's people with a distinct identity and a, offer them a set of practices to live well and serve God and neighbor, often came to be practiced without compassion um, and could make those who were sick or different alienated and shunned. And so Jesus, uh, in many ways, also critiques the practice of religion itself and challenges religion when it becomes too calcified and not compassionate enough when it doesn't serve the people. So we can imagine that after 12 years of exile, this woman was desperate. And so, of course, she pushes her way through the crowd, if only to touch the hem of his garment as the old gospel song goes. Um, And likewise with the little girl, her, her illness set her apart, and her death threatened to do so permanently. But Jesus speaks to her and says, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. And she is restored to herself and to her family. Jesus, out of compassion, was willing to break the religious law and the social and religious conventions of the time to heal these two and many, many more. Um, In an earlier healing story in Mark, Jesus heals the man with the withered hand, but he makes the mistake, so it seems, of doing it on the Sabbath when the religious law said that no work could be done, even healing people. And so Jesus begins to get in trouble. But he says in that wonderful line, the Sabbath is made for humankind. Humankind is not made for the Sabbath. That is, the law is made for humankind, not humankind's simply to serve the law. And so there are elements in these healing stories that inspire awe, that demonstrate how to live compassionately. Um, There are stories with people that we can identify with in our own deep longings for healing. Um, But it also shows us that when we want to bring about healing, it often involves crossing a boundary. The greater the healing, the bigger the boundary we must cross. Um, When I was in divinity school, I served for a time as the seminarian at St. Francis House, which was a day shelter in Boston, for people experiencing homelessness. Um, And the hub of St. Francis House was known as the Day Center, uh, which was a big room with lots of tables and chairs around it where the guests could be together and wait um, between counseling sessions or meals or art therapy. Um, And so the guests would gather in uh, in this day room, and just adjacent to the day room was kind of like this little staff area Uh, almost looked like the kitchen in our fellowship hall that had like a little counter and opening and a doorway and uh, staff would kind of go in and out of that space into the day room and that's where my day always started as the chaplain in training and my job as the chaplain in training was to visit with the guests Um, but it was really intimidating to do Um, and so I remember the feeling uh, I can picture the room and I remember the feeling of what it felt like to step out of the staff space into the day room 
and to visit with the guests. It must have been maybe eight steps between the staff room and the day room in the first table there. But I remember that I felt like I was crossing a boundary. And maybe it was the boundaries of my own apprehension and wondering and worrying about whether I had anything to say or anything to offer. But I was also very aware that I was um, crossing boundaries around race and privilege and culture and socioeconomic status. Um, and so each day that summer, was uh, the, I had to experience the practice of boundary crossing again and again and again. And it was a great daily practice in crossing boundaries. And I think that when we cross boundaries in small ways like that, maybe, we learn that we can do it in bigger ways and bigger ways. We learn when we cross those boundaries that the healing runs in both directions, Um, that I was offering pastoral care to the guests, but they were showing me incredible hospitality by receiving me at their tables. Uh, We learn that we are both and we are all healed by our willingness to transgress all the visible and invisible, the real and perceived things that separate us. And this is one of the things I love about all the service projects that we do here at church, like Chosen 300, Feeding the Homeless, um, ASP, um, Service Project in Appalachia, Making Houses Warmer, Safer, and Drier, uh, and hosting families who are experiencing um, homelessness here in the month of August for interfaith housing. These are ways of practicing crossing those boundaries that keep us apart for the sake of the healing. Um, whether it is crossing the boundary from the suburb to the city, um, spending time with people who have completely different life experiences than we do, or being present to their joy or their pain, uh, all of it. Um, It's practicing crossing boundaries. And the healing of forgiveness happens in much the same way, crossing a boundary that is opened up between people. And I think these moments are cumulative, They build and they build, like the stories in Mark, and they enable us to cross greater boundaries and and transgress the social conventions that hold us back and keep us apart from one another. They enable us to overcome the boundaries of our apathy or self-interest or discomfort or our self-doubt. And in a time when our world needs massive amounts of healing, We need to be ever more willing and ever more courageous to cross the boundaries that separate us from others. It may not be the religious laws, um, but often they are boundaries within ourselves or boundaries that we have internalized from our culture. And so I wonder if we might think about all the service projects that we do, not as the fulfillment and the culmination of our Christian calling to cross those boundaries, but as practice for ourselves in boundary crossing so that we can become more willing and more courageous and more bold to cross bigger and bigger and bigger boundaries. And we do that together, and we do it together, and we reflect on it together, and then we do it again, and then we do it again, and we tell those stories, and we become emboldened to cross further over for the sake of the gospel, for the healing of the world, to transgress the boundaries that would so often keep us apart. Like Jesus, we need to be willing to have faith to step into those spaces and offer ourselves up for the healing of the world. Um, at the 9 o'clock service in the sharing time, I share that um, uh, there's lots of sharing about grief and sickness, and, um, and I just share that, you know, the most important thing I've ever learned in ministry 
is that ministry is about showing up for people. So like my job is like 95% showing up. <laughs> uh, and when I show up, I still don't know what's going to happen. When I pick up the phone and call somebody because they're sick, I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I'm not sure if it's going to make a difference if I send that text. When I walk into somebody's room at the rehab or the hospital, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure, but I just know that God tells me to go there and show up and then see what happens. And I think so much of the healing that we need together and in our world is showing up for each other again and again and again. And oftentimes, it feels like showing up is not enough. Um, it doesn't, we don't feel like we don't have the right words to say. We don't know the things to do. Oftentimes, we feel helpless um, because there's nothing that we can do, that we can sit. Um, one of the uh, people I did hospital chaplaincy with had a phrase. She said, don't just do something, sit there. Uh, don't just do something, sit there to be present for and to show up for people again and again. And that's part of the healing process because, you know, being sick is one thing, grieving is one thing, suffering is one thing, uh, but to do that by yourself makes it so much worse. But if we can keep showing up for one another, that people know that they're not alone, um, that is an incredibly powerful form of healing. And how can we do that for the people in our families, the people in our communities, and the people in our world to keep showing up for each other again and again and again. And when we cross those boundaries, when we show up, when we take that chance, that opportunity, what we discover in those moments is that we too are healed. And so may God give us the courage to cross the boundaries within us, <laughs> to traverse the boundaries that are erected between peoples, that they may be healed, that we might be healed, and that we might say with the writer of Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Amen.